I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Almost Famous. In the first series of the podcast, I spoke to guests who also grew up with famous family members and discussed how it had affected their journeys through life. In series two, I want to explore the subject of fame more directly by talking to people who've experienced it themselves and asking them how it has affected their own journey as well as the lives of those around them. My guest today is comedian, writer, presenter and barrister Clive Anderson. Clive got into stand-up and comedy writing while still working as a barrister and became famous as the host of Whose Line Is It Anyway? and Clive Anderson Talks Back on Channel 4, then Clive Anderson All Talk on BBC One. Clive is a regular panellist on shows such as Have I Got News For You, QI and Mock The Week and hosts both Loose Ends and Unreliable Evidence on Radio 4. Last year, he took his first solo show, Me, Macbeth and I, to the Edinburgh Fringe and will be touring it across the UK from March this year. So a big hello to our almost famous guest today, Clive Anderson. <laughs> hello, Barney. Clive, that was yeah. your long intro. Um, um, yeah. I will ask you about that. Before I do, I just want to say, uh, as I always do, we're recording this from the Podcast Lounge in central London. And uh, guys, if you at home are thinking, I want to do a podcast, where can I do it? Do get in touch with them. Their website is factory.uk.com. Clive, what do you think of the Podcast Lounge? It's nice and central and it's very uh, comfy in here. It's... Uh, it feels like they've just been painted and, and you know, put it's, into being. Exactly. It's comfortable enough that hopefully we will get some guests crying. That's, yeah. the, that's the dream. That is always is. Uh, so what do you think of your intro? Uh, do you want me to cry over that? Uh, well, did I miss anything out? No, I think, I think that uh, pretty well uh, sums it up, I'd say. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. You're happy? Yes. Because uh, I was going through yeah. your, you know, yeah. your business, the stuff you've done. There's yeah. so much stuff. I thought I've done enough now to get to a podcast that isn't almost famous. I think I might almost be, you know, over the line. Uh, that is definitely a, uh, an issue with this second series. Like the first series, as I mentioned, we were interviewing people who uh, grew up around fame. Yeah. Uh, and in the second series, uh, I wanted to get a bit more deep into it. But lots of people did say, surely you need to change yeah. the name. But it's a brand, Clive. Yes. It's a brand. Fair so, enough. Yes. Uh, yeah. Some people suggest you could call it All Most Famous. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, so I could do that. But um, the reality, of course, Clive, is that I've paid for a logo now and I refuse to pay for another one. <laughs> well, for quite a while, I suppose I was almost famous, or at least I was doing bits and pieces in comedy, uh, you know, writing scripts in mm -hmm. studio warm-ups and things like that. So there were friends of mine who were definitely famous, and I was... As you say, I was a barrister who sort of called in and out. It's really interesting you brought that up because I wanted to ask, actually, um, well, a, a question that I do ask everyone is, are you famous? Well, I I'm, I think I have a nice comfortable level of fame. And I was more famous a few years ago mm. when I was more on the television. And you, so you're reasonably prominent if you're doing a chat show. But even then, it was only with the sort of age group that might have been watching, say, on Channel 4, and I was originally on there. Then it was a bit wider. But then that rapidly, you know, fades away to 
So young people wouldn't have any idea who I was. And yet people who are in their you know, 30s, 40s, 50s get excited. And they remember, oh, yes, remember you from Whose Line when I was a kid. Yeah. So I have a band of fame, yeah. but not, you know, I can walk down the street most of the time. Okay. <laughs> I kind of think of uh, being stopped on the street as what, the kind of line yeah. as to whether you're famous or not. Yeah. So I'm interested that you brought that up. Um, and also then you mentioned before about uh, when you were still a and getting into it then and, and some of your peers yeah. already having uh, kind of jumped some steps ahead of you. Yes. What did that feel like then and, and, and how did that kind of manifest itself that period of time? Well, I, you know, I thought it was quite uh, fun and I wasn't really, you know, champing at the bit thing, oh, that, that should be me. I was, I, so I used to write uh, bits and pieces for Griff Rhys-Jones and Mel Smith. And I know Griff very well. Mm -hmm. So I'd often be, you know, around with him and uh, he would get quite a lot of attention because he was on Not Nine O'Clock News, which was the top kind of sketch comedy, yep. topical comedy of the time. So he was he was good and proper famous. And then he was doing, they were doing Smith and Jones, which kept them at quite a high peak. And it was quite nice being the mate of the famous person. Uh, you're, you're and and is that, that how you got those? I mean, obviously you're a talented scriptwriter, but also <laughs> it was an, an easier in than maybe just sending stuff out to the BBC. Uh, yeah, well, I don't know. I think I was an okay writer. I did, I did reasonably good stuff. But what I did do was shows that I wrote for. Uh, there's, you know, there's a warm-up person when you have a studio audience, and I did quite a lot of that. And I think, broadly speaking, I was better at doing that than I was at being. Uh, I mean, I think I can write some good stuff, but if you're to be a proper writer, you have to write good stuff and a lot of it, you know, on on command. And was that a natural progression because of what you'd learnt from being a barrister to do warm up to 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 be yeah. speaking publicly and and knowing people, getting to know people, well, and judging a, audiences? There's a similarity. So I did a bit of stand up in the early days of places like the Comedy Store. So I was reasonably, and I used to like chatting to the audience then. So that was what I was okay with. Where I thought things did mesh quite well, at least I thought so, mm. was when I was uh, a you know, chat show host interviewing people on television. I had my experience of being in court where you are asking questions, obviously, sometimes cross-examining, giving mm -hmm. people a you know difficult time over something. And I'd done quite a little bit of comedy, either writing and performing. So that kind of, I thought, came together yeah. to, to be a good background for the work that I was doing. And you mentioned Griff, and you met Griff at... Uh University. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Because I wanted to talk a little bit. You were the president of Footlights. Is I that was, right? Yeah. Okay. So I want to talk a little bit about Footlights because the Footlights alumni is like a who's who of yeah. famous comedy writer, a comedian writer, performers yeah. of that era and many other eras as well. So sure. yourself, Stephen Fry, Griff, John Lloyd, Douglas Adams. Yeah. Wanted to know whether there was a sense even back then. Um, in Footlights, a sense that maybe you're all going to become famous uh, or, or at the very least successful at what you did. There was a is is there an inner an inner sense of that. Um, not for me, but then that may be just a lack of confidence in me. I, I know also sort of a lack of imagination. I couldn't quite see, because when we were doing Footlights, we, we a review, it was a little review that you, and they were quite good shows, I think, but it was like a, it, there wasn't a career stretching out in front of you mm -hmm. that that sort of entertainment. Other people, no doubt, think, guys, oh, I'll do that and I'll make some contacts. I'll become a, I don't know, either a producer or, a, or an actor or, or, or something like that. I just didn't see that and it's it's a kind of double-edged sword really it, coming from a tradition of things because you get the benefit people oh, footlights i've heard of that oh mm. peter cook was in that john cleese but then they come along and they're trying to com they're comparing you a, a spotty 19 year old with your first things you've written and performed yeah. with oh peter cook who's a genius or john cleese who by then had had 20 years or whatever of performing and they think, well this isn't isn't right. uh, quite as good as that so that felt it? like pressure to you uh, well i i after I'd been there, I went back to direct uh, a Footlight show and I spent a happy time, which was harder in those days, digging out 
reviews of uh, various people in the shows going back and, and finding so the you know the John Cleese one so he's he's fairly good but he's not as good as Peter Cook <laughs> uh, or there'd be you know uh, Stephen Fry hadn't come along by then but each one compared to the and we've had to I had but to digging them out to make yourself feel better or for some well, other purpose it was, it was just a funny thing to uh, and, and I found one uh, which was of a like an obscure liberal MP who'd been in full saying and he is the real deal right, <laughs> he's the funniest right. thing that was the, the punchline to that piece well, I guess it kind of makes sense actually that um and um, obviously Footlight's going to create lots of comedians and actors, but also MPs because yeah. they also want the attention as well. Yeah. Uh, find their own way in. Um, you mentioned your stand-up a bit. Yeah. Uh, I don't think many people have seen your stand-up. Certainly I've never seen your stand-up. Um, you mentioned that you were good with the crowd. What was what was your material like? What kind of stand-up were you? Well, I, uh, when sort of this sort of alternative comedy stand-up kind of was yeah. invented for a, a younger crowd. Yeah, like Alexi, uh, Alexi Sale, that exactly. kind of Exactly. Alexi yeah. Sale was the host of the comedy mm-hmm. store when it started. It was in a, it was, I'd say, in a converted strip club. It was in a strip club, which was during the week. And then yeah. at the weekend... Still where the comedy store is now, right? No, not quite. Oh, no, right. it's, it moved around a bit. Uh, the first one was in a in an attractively named street called Meard Street. Okay. And uh, it had a funny little lift you had to go up to be in it. And considering it was, we were sort of aiming at you know, non-sexist, non-racist kind of material. The fact that, you know, the night before there'd be, you know, foreign businessmen sitting watching girls take yeah. their clothes off was a, was a strange contrast. So I, I did that. I used to wander on looking a bit uh, in the wrong place, as I tend to, I think, in most things in life. And so I think it was kind of encouraged because people didn't even know what you're supposed to do with stand-up. The audience didn't really know because they hadn't seen all of it. But yeah. there'd be, you know, two o'clock in the morning, a bunch of drunks from, you know, somewhere in North London would start shouting things out. And I quite enjoyed that. I liked the... Uh, the, I was reasonably good at dealing with yeah. uh, hecklers and put downs and things, which just adds to your. And if they get a laugh with a with a shout out, uh, yeah. then you get a laugh at their expense. That's that's fine. So, the kind of common thread seems to be that your ability to quit back to people. That's a common thread through, you know, yeah. from from being a barrister to uh, dealing with stuff early on in the comedy store, and then even then going through to your chat show hosting days. Yes. Really, and in Who's Line, which and, is an improvisation show where yeah. where there's lots. Sort of so, so why why was that your shtick? Why were you so good at that? I'm do you too, think? I'm too lazy to write properly <laughs> or to to apply. I, I don't think I ever come up with anything better than the first thing I think of. Right. Whereas if you're a proper writer, I'm sure Shakespeare didn't just come up with his play and just write it, ex- extemporize it. He sat and sweated well, over it. Well, he's coming on next week, so I'll uh, I'll make sure to ask. <laughs> yeah. But I, it's interesting. So you you've talked a bit about. Uh, not necessarily having the same amount of confidence as some of your peers, yeah. but then also having the confidence to say or to, or to be confident enough in the first thing that you think to. That's a different. That's a yeah, different kind I, of confidence, I think. I suppose so. I mean, I've I have done quite a lot of programs myself about these early days of comedy, and, and interestingly, uh, I've, I've interviewed Alexi Sale. I've asked that sort of question to him and said, "Do did you think that the people you were performing with, some of whom you know became very famous, yeah. do you think uh, everyone was going to be successful?" And he just languidly said, well, I knew I would. And really? I d- didn't know about anybody else. He didn't know anything about... With no know, kind of faux modesty. No, 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 no. He's uh, like, you know, like French and Saunders are performing or Ben Elton or Paul Merton. He didn't really apply his mind to, too much to that. But he knew he was going to be uh, wow. good at it. And he was a good uh, host. Uh, he, he's, I mean, he's much more comfy now and relaxed. But, yeah. but as, a, as a host of a, of a noisy comedy 
club. He was in a suit that didn't quite yeah, fit yeah, him. Yeah. He was, he was, the energy was bursting out of yeah, him. No. He was bursting out yeah, of his I suit. I really remember Alexi because, uh, yeah. and I think my audience know this, my stepdad Angus, who you know very well as yeah. well, was on Alexi Sales stuff when I was growing up. Oh, uh, right. So yeah. we had, um, oh, course, we used yeah. to watch the videos endlessly of Alexi Sales stuff when I was far too young to ma- yeah. mainly understand men- mo- most of it. But, um, but still funny enough as a child to, yeah. to work it out. Um, you mentioned a bit before about your um, comfort with your level of fame and, and a little bit about what we think fame is. Um, I've talked about this in a few episodes before as well. I do find that some people of uh, uh, who were famous, say, in the 80s or 90s, I find looking from afar that some of them are still striving to reach a level of fame that they previously had. Is that anything you feel like yeah. would you would you ever want to get back to say BBC One primetime chat show stuff or do you feel like that's not your thing anymore um i when it stopped i you know the uh, like year afterwards two years i certainly happily you know resumed it but i think time has now moved on right. and i and i'm you know realistic about it i'm on uh, i do a chat show on radio 4 mm-hmm. called loose ends where I, i'm interviewing people so it's not that dissimilar but it's radio it's not television it's not as um uh, prominent, but you know that's a, that's a useful yeah. add-on to a TV career that I can yeah. uh, spin it out on radio. And I read a few in in just researching this. I read a few articles about when um, your BBC One chat show stopped. And yes. it was Peter Salmon who stopped it, right? Who yeah. was commissioning editor, the, the or controller, whatever, of the controller of BBC, of BBC One. One. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted that, like, obviously, I talk a lot in this podcast about us normal people or non-famous yeah. people. I wonder how it felt or how it feels when you know you go through disappointments. But in the public eye, yeah. is there, do you think there's any added level of of difficulty because it's in the public eye as opposed to when I've been fired from jobs? At least it's only me. I'm not saying you were fired. I'm just well, saying. No, well, in effect, I was. But oddly enough, it, it didn't really become such a big public thing. Mm-hmm. I I kind of expected that when it was cancelled, it might have been a bit of a story. But I don't think anybody was that, that interested. <laughs> it happened in a rather sort of... It's definitely on the BBC website because I saw it. No, it was, a B, it. it was a BBC sort of way it was done as well that... Uh, he he. They just said, "Oh, we don't. We, you know, we just think your show needs to be." Changed. It was a, quite a complicated thing that that he was trying to achieve. And by the time and I had a year to do a different show. Yeah, that's right. They you yeah. they moved you to a different show. What was that? What was that? The it idea was, behind that? Well, the idea was this. <laughs> this is maybe a bit too boring for. for no, no, I think it's really interesting. They, they uh, Peter said he wanted that they had BBC Two had Have I Got News for You, which was like their their mm-hmm. flagship show, and he wanted to have come up with a show for BBC One. I was already on BBC yeah. One. This doing was the early noughties, wasn't it? It was like 2002, yeah, something yes, like about that. To, yeah, yeah, something like two, yeah, 2000. And so that's what he wanted. And it wasn't to be a chat show. It wasn't to be, have I got news for you? But nonetheless, somebody from have I got news for you was to join the team to, because it was all done in the same production company. Mm-hmm. And we had a year to prepare it. And I was saying, well, I don't I'm happy with the show I'm doing. What's the, right. and anyway, there's a lot of extra, by the time the show actually got on, Everything had gone wrong from you know our point of view. In that, have I got news for you? Had been suddenly moved from BBC Two to BBC One, so there was no longer a need for this mm. this flagship show. Peter Sam was no longer the controller of BBC, right. so so and that's often a problem if you're trying to get a commission for a program. The person who's interested moves on. Yeah. Then, uh, so I was now doing a show which I didn't really want to be doing for a reason that no longer existed for the controller who wasn't who didn't want in it. charge. It. So we did one series of that, and it just fizzled away. So well, can't we go back to doing the chat show that I was doing before? Oh no, you know the the right. tide, the, the the water's moved on, the river has flown through yeah. that. I Is think. that a good example? Would you say because I've worked at the BBC as well, and I yeah. feel like quite a lot of the stuff that happens is political in some way. Yeah. Quite a good example of of how there are too many cooks quite a lot of the time and 
And not who, a clear strategy. I don't know. It might have been a deliberate policy as a way of getting rid of me without first. It might have been accidental. It may be I didn't appreciate what was going on. Did it I, feel personal at all to you at the time? I, f- I wouldn't say personal, but I felt, oh, that's a... And I, I mean, it's a sort of weird thing because I was quite a long, about 10 years on, on Channel 4. So I was quite surprised to move to BBC One in the first place. Right. So, oh, and that's that's not really like to succeed. I'm, I'm a bit not quite mass market enough for that. Then a couple of series went by. Oh, this seems I felt I felt settled. About four series, yeah. We were, there was a negotiation going on for another two series. Then suddenly it was kicked away. But I didn't then think I know what I'll do. I'll go on to ITV because I think that would have been pushing it, you know, way too far. Was that a possibility? Uh, no, I mean I, I didn't think it was a possibility. Right. You know, I thought that if if that if I'd been a more sort of. Uh, I don't know, more commercial, nor more mainstream kind of person. Like yeah. that. I might have had that option. But so, you know, uh, I was I like to think that I have a reasonably balanced approach to life. And I th- in a way, I was lucky to be there in the first place. Right. Even if I was unlucky, I think, for it to yeah. suddenly be kicked away. But, I think I yeah. think the mechanics, I think the mechanics, sorry to interrupt, but I think the mechanics yeah. of uh, a famous person's life, uh, yeah. professional life, is actually really interesting to those of us who have no idea how these yeah. things kind of work. And to, it feels to me like to be swimming in the middle of it, wondering what uh, yes, what's going to yeah. happen. Must be yeah. interesting. You, you mentioned yeah. about um, not being sure you should move to the BBC from Channel Four. Yeah. Was it a risk then? Did it feel like a risk to take that and something you couldn't turn down? Or it, it felt a slight of a risk, um, but you know, not one you want to turn down. It's no. too, um, in fact, one of the happier memories of dealing with TV executives for for complicated reasons. I was having lunch with the commissioning person from Channel 4 at the point where I knew we were going lock, stock and barrel, leaving his channel. And uh, I was having lunch for other reasons. And, it, oh, so no, this is not unfortunate. I've got to be the one that tells him. What? But, but <laughs> I had to be the, you know, it's not my job to tell. But, but so we sat down and I said, look, before we start discussing anything first, <laughs> Sean, uh, Seamus, sorry. Um, we've got to, uh, i got to say, we're, we're moving. He said, where, where are you going to? And uh, so we're going to BBC One. Oh, so we're fair enough. Okay, if you're going to BBC One, you've got to, you've got to take that offer. Fair enough. If you said you were going to BBC Two from Channel Four, <laughs> I might have been upset. Oh, let's just enjoy lunch and really. And, and he was great about it. So huh. Seamus Cassidy, uh, we, uh, well, well done. Here. Yeah, big props yeah, to Seamus yeah, Cassidy. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm still slightly uh, aghast that you were made to tell them. That. But it was it wasn't us. I was made to it. Would, the natural thing would have been for somebody at the head of the production company, yeah. But as it happens, I was having lunch with him anyway, and uh, I said, "Well, I don't mind. I, I've, I, you know, I think it was it was gets it gets it done." Sounds like you it. being too nice to me, Clive, a little bit. But <laughs> well, I'm glad and, it went down well. And it, did he pay for lunch? It, uh, I think he did. Yes, <laughs> people executives always pay for lunch. Golden handshake. There are restaurants in London I've only ever been to uh, with. In the context of a job, yeah. which is either one you're being offered or, or one you're, you're being sacked it. from. Either way, somebody else pays. Well, yeah. uh, I assume they're slightly more um, lavish restaurants than we would tend to go to normally. I think they used to be lavisher in the old days. No, when, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Well, actually, that brings me on quite nicely yeah. to my next question. I wonder if... Um, You've talked a bit about uh, your time before being in the entertainment industry, but as this is a podcast called Almost Famous, and you've 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 touched upon it, do you do you feel there's any difference in the almost famous Clive Anderson, so who you were before you became yeah. well known on television or uh, starting with comedy, <laughs> yes. uh, and then who you were afterwards? Were there any kind of personality changes or changes ab- about you? I don't think so, but you'd probably do better asking, asking other else. people who've observed me. I've. Um... Uh, I've only ever once uh, the closest I've ever I've got a story that goes with the um, ever 
you know that thing you say don't don't you know who I am? Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll tell the it's a longish story. I don't know if we've got time. Got plenty but, of time, Clive. Uh, the closest I've ever come to that I, is it's when the high point of my career was happening. I didn't know it was the high point of my career, but it was it was from then on. You know, I had I had peaked. Yeah, and it involved me going to um, America to present the international Emmys. So it was a big award oh, ceremony yeah. for inter, an international means not American. So it was a third in the big auditorium. Third were Americans who didn't know who I was. A third were people who didn't speak English uh, as a first language, so they didn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> okay. But a third of them, because there's always a big contingent from Britain, a third of people I knew personally to see me. Anyway, the, the, the actual event went okay, way too long. But the next day, I, for reasons, complicated reasons, I sat around in a hotel reception talking to Thora Heard <laughs> and Thora Heard's daughter. Wait, where, where exactly was this? This is the Hilton Hotel in New York. Right. Waiting for my How? car. Straight because she'd been at the she'd, ceremony she'd as well. She'd picking up an award, right. yes, and uh, very. Uh, now you know what Dame Heard's Laura, like, not Dame, Dame at this point. No, I can't remember if she was Dame or yeah. not. But you know, <laughs> she she had specialised in playing slightly dotty women, uh, you know, northern women, and she seemed to be uh, comfortable in those sort of roles. So, right. So that was which was fine. And then the guy anyway, the car picked me up late. And uh, it's a difference between America and, and England. An English driver picking him up would say, oh, we're never going to get to the airport in time for your flight. No way. Well, the American guy said, yeah, I'll get you there. Don't you worry. I said, well, I, you know, I'm not from New York, but I can, I can see what traffic is. It's Labor Day or something like that. And I was only doing those awards. I've been trying. They've been asking me to do it for several years, hmm. but I couldn't do it because my, my chat show in mm -hmm. England always um, was the wrong time. And I could do it because my chat show had been moved a few weeks to okay. accommodate something else. A clear signal thing there <laughs> that things weren't good. Yeah. Anyway, we got to the airport late, missed my flight. I had trying to get on the next flight, British Airways flight, two hours later. I was queuing up with people, British people recognizing me, saying, oh, you think you'd be able to get on the flight? So I got there, they said, well, we've got nothing. we got nothing on this flight. And this, this is the closest I've ever been. So I said, is there anybody British working here? In the... <laughs> well, would that make a difference? I so, said, I don't know. I just... <laughs> It just might do. But in the end, he didn't find anybody British. He just, he saw it as a challenge and he found me the seat, I was saying next to the lavatory. It was, I think it might have even been the lavatory. I mean, the I fact that in. you still remember where that seat was, yes. there's, there's a, <laughs> no. a little bit of resentment there. No, well, it was lingering. great to get on the flight. And that was me basically saying, um, well, surely you can find me. That was your, so, that, so that's the, what you're saying is that's the closest you've come clo to pulling your famous card, exactly, basically. Exactly. Because either, either people, Want to give you some special treatment, or they don't. And if you yeah. start demanding it, then you're already yeah. you've already and failed. Other than uh, maybe upgrades or stuff to do with flights, yeah. what kind of special treatment can famous people back in you know back when you were at your peak yes. could famous people expect to get D uh, uh, tables at restaurants? You're supposed you're supposed to get uh, t uh, tables at restaurants. I, I remember once writing a a sketch for um, Smith and Jones, which was based upon this this idea that. That that uh, I can't wish how order we did it in, but you'd say Griff was trying to get a table, but he couldn't, and he got bumped off it because Mel came, and right. then yeah. then then a guest star yeah. came along, and they got both of it. Yeah. Because that how what are these spare tables that yeah. are just kept in case a famous person? I think that was up? then stolen in the show Extras by Ricky Gervais because oh, right. there was definitely a scene where he playing Andy Millman oh. was trying to get a table, and then I oh. I think I yeah. think Hale and Pace came oh. in and got a table, <laughs> and that was obviously two decades oh, right, after okay. Hale and oh, Pace right, well, were stolen's a strong word. I think it's a, it's an interesting it, enough, an you know, interesting, an obvious yeah. enough idea. Yeah. Uh, let's go with stolen, just yeah. to uh, just in case we can get some, any any press yeah. uh, coverage from this. Um, do you remember the first time you were recognised? Ooh, um, and is it a big moment in a uh, in an not, entertainer's not, career? 
not really, because I sort of, I came to it, um, if you're talking about almost famous, as I mentioned, I came to it sort of slowly. Yeah. So at university, I did some shows, that, you know, I'd bump into people then, I suppose, but then nothing for years and years. Um but that would be uh, different. That would be different because yeah. that would be recognised because they've come and seen your show. But uh, in terms of like by a stranger down the street, kind of oh, stared at in the street. Oh, I t- tell you what did happen once. I before I I really got going on television. I did a, a sort of one-off appearance on a, a show. Um, it's only in London area, London Weekend Television. Yeah. I did a little bit of stand-up on it, and the next day I was in court as a barrister, <laughs> and a police officer uh, said, "You were on the television." I mean, it wasn't in my case or anything. He didn't know. He hadn't been told my name or anything. He said. You're on the television last night being a comedian. And I, th- I and at the time, the thing that impressed me was... How flattering. A, well, a, yeah, I would call it a comedian, but <laughs> but also uh, that what a good recognizer, super recognizer that policeman was. To yeah. see somebody completely out of context yeah. and immediately... Uh, might make him an excellent witness. Yes. Might it yeah. not? So luckily he wasn't in my case, which <laughs> might not have been... Uh, I feel like, yeah. um, I mean, what was it like back in the day then doubling up on two jobs, like a... Two proper, you know, proper yes, jobs. Yeah. And and how did it come that you made the decision to finally cut out the barrister work? Well, I, I don't know if, if you know. You but, did in, if you indeed did. Well, barristers are self-employed in, in, in sort of private practice. So you're kind of in command of, and every time you decide to date, to do a case, you're kind of not doing all the other cases that might be coming on at the mm-hmm. same time. So if you get in, some people get into a long, like fraud trial that goes on for months and months and months, and they lose all their other work. So... At some point, well, most of the time I was doing uh, comedy in the evenings or yeah. weekends, then whose line we were recording at the weekend. So I could still do my barristering without... So you were still doing barrister work when you were hosting Whose Line Is It Anyway? Yes. Wow. Yeah. And um, that was such, Sorry, that was such a formative show for me when I was growing up. Like, oh, really, yes. like, the best thing to watch on a... It, yeah. it was on a Friday night, wasn't it? Like yes, 10 o'clock yes, on a Friday yeah. night, something like that. Well, the best recording of that, or the best moment in doing that, my whole life came together in one slightly over 24-hour period. Uh, I went... I, my wife was going to give birth to our first child. Had a bit of a false alarm one night. The next day, uh, for some reason, I went to court in Oxford. Uh, <laughs> the case got, got ridden off. It's a Friday, you know, turned to a guilty plea or something. Came back... Uh, couldn't find her for a bit, and then I found her. So back in, we're up all night. Uh, her, she giving birth. Yeah. At about I don't know four in the morning or something. And then I was going to whose line recording that Saturday. So I had to obviously you have to tell people when you have a baby. But the, I think my first call had to be into Dan Patterson, who was yeah. the uh, producer of uh, Whose Line, because he. Oh, well, well, what's her clue? <laughs> it's, it's all right. No, she's given birth. So you're, you're arrested. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'd, I'd had no sleep whatsoever. And then so that's a that's a great twenty four hour period to have your first child. Yeah do whatever I did in court I mean, and be presenting a TV It would be program. remiss of me not to ask what your wife thought about you fucking off to go and <laughs> present a stupid TV show after giving birth. Well, she, gave birth. I, she didn't seem too bad about it because I went back afterwards, yeah. you know, and, um, you know, whatever you do, dabbed her. Footballers these days take a take a match off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I do. I would have I would have missed the recording if if she hadn't actually... So kindly given birth yes, before Yes, exactly. Happened. But it was such a perfectly timed yeah. uh, birthing uh, that it fitted in with, with everything. <laughs> Um, I'm interested to wonder how you think fame has changed from when you were famous to what you see famous people going through now. Um, and yeah. I guess to, to add to that, um, obviously, uh, since the advent of social media, there's yes. so much more um, 
feedback. Uh, feed, <laughs> you know, uh, feedback, not only feedback, but straight away. Yes. And I wonder, you know, not only to, uh, to wonder how you think fame has changed, but whether if you'd have become famous now, whether it's something you would have found more difficult to deal with. Um, quite possibly. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm famous because I was on television. I mean, it, it sort of comes with the job. You don't have to be the best television presenter. Every television is famous. You know, it, you know the, every weatherman, weather woman yeah. is famous. Yeah. So it's not like somebody like a novelist has to work, or even an actor has to work quite hard, or have a lot of success. So that, so that's kind of easy-ish form of fame. But especially in those days when there weren't so many channels. I was on Channel Four, and then you know. The, the expansion in channels has come along with me. So I think it's probably harder to be very famous. I, mean, I find this when I'm interviewing people now. You can interview people that, let's say, if they're in a soap, half the country thinks is the most famous person in the world, and the other half have never yeah, heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And they can be niche things. They're in some big success. Mm -hmm. You think, oh, here's the star of, you know, even Game of Thrones or something like that. Most people haven't seen that. It's just... So fame is sort of slightly easier in television when I was on there. But as you say, I didn't have to put up with... Um, you just had somebody in the couple of newspapers saying, don't think much of this new bloke, or that question was poor to that guest. Mm. Um, nowadays, you, you have people piling in with yeah. their eye. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And do you think if you'd had to deal with that when you were on BBC One, for instance, or, yeah. or not had to, but do you think you'd have chosen to look at that and to try and see whether people were giving you 
you know, positive I, feedback or, yeah. or the opposite? I probably would have done. The the only thing we had when I started, was maybe, well, maybe point of view. Me. No, well, <laughs> no, there was a there was a thing called a duty log. Yeah. And so while you're doing the program, somebody has to be so enraged that they think, I can't stand this. And then, I don't know if you've ever tried to phone the, the BBC, <laughs> but I don't know anyone who carries the number of them. So they're, while they're watching it, they're having to thumb through, uh, it would have been a book in those days, a yeah. telephone or phone up directory. And then they phone in to say, I thought that ridiculous question. But, and you think, well, you, you're tempted to dismiss those people as a bit of a nutcase. Yeah, yeah. But they're just people who are enraged enough. It, it does represent the other people. If they've, if they've got the wrong end of the stick, then a lot of people got the wrong end of the stick. If there is something you did wrong in there is somebody's opinion. So you have to multiply the yeah. person who could be bothered. But now you don't have to do that multiplication in quite the same because you've got everybody piling but in. But it does sound to me like that person, actually, that you've just, you know, yeah. say we're, we're putting a person on, on, yeah. on, on a whole example of people who would call the duty log. Yeah. That person, to me, sounds like the exact person who is on Twitter all the time, desperately yes. using what they have now, which is a forum, to just slag off yeah. people, whereas... Yeah. Back in the day, I'm sure they didn't even they existed, but you'd have to, like you said, work very hard to find the yeah. number and do it. But now, well, they can I would just go say to it. people, you know, let's say younger people who who suffer more, I think, from this because they t pay more attention. I'd say, oh, you know, don't get too obsessed with the bad comments. There, there are some good comments, yeah. maybe loads more, and people aren't generally moved to just write something on even on Twitter to say, oh, this is fantastic. But there's a lot. It's it's more. You, there's more impetus to say oh, I can't stand this or this is biased or you shouldn't have done and people's comments aren't always sometimes they're they're useful sometimes they're just plain wrong yeah. and they're just uh, no uh, it's um I I've said it before but I think it's a lot of time it's a, it's kind of people who are envious you know can't be bothered to mm. try and do the thing that they want to do themselves and just want to get attention I think that's really what it is um, maybe that's my opinion yeah, though um, yeah. You, we talked about controversy. I think arguably you're probably most famous for the Bee Gees storming off your yes. show. Yeah. What actually happened that night? Uh, was what? it was it was it a surprise to you? Was there tension before? You know, what can you add? Um, well, it, it was a surprise because I wasn't. Um, I have done over the years. I have done some interviews when I've got somebody who I I want to ask some difficult questions of, or I, I quite like a challenge. I think how am I going to ask about? such and such a thing. Whereas the Bee Gees, there were things like that, but I hadn't got anywhere near that. I, the, the time that they took exception, I think virtually every question I asked, right. I was, I thought, just jollying along in what I regard as my normal way of just assuming, I assume a sort of intimacy that I didn't really have with the guests, but sort of jollying them along and making a few jokes you might amongst yeah. light, mates. Light quips. Light quips. Yeah. But, but I, and it, it is a, it is a presumption, but, because I didn't, I didn't know them. I hadn't met them before. I hadn't met them until they came onto the screen, onto the set to be interviewed. I was probably in a much slightly upper state than I would have been because I'd already done a whole show and they were a pre-record for the next week's show. So right. they had a, a lively audience who had, had you know, they, they were a fever pitch exactly. but <laughs> And it was a good thing to be able to say, oh, this is a good show, you've enjoyed that. And some of them knew the Bee Gees were coming on, some didn't. But either way, and here's the Bee Gees. So I was in a sort of jolly state they appeared to be in a jolly state so i was yeah. probably so you're in... running off the adrenaline of the previous yeah, show yeah yeah and seeing you know it had all gone well that, that so far that evening and i asked a few questions that trampled on there the main the main problem you've mentioned uh, i'm doing a, a show called me macbeth mm -hmm. and i and i it's a sort of stand-up show but i i go 
I spend some time explaining how chat shows go wrong. And the main issue that I identify there, apart from my questions being wrong, is there are three of them. And uh, if you're talking one-on-one, however annoyed you may be with the questioner or the, the interviewer or the interviewee, uh, you're concentrating on each other. But yeah. if there's three of them, then you go and talk to another person. The, the original person is thinking, wait a minute, what did he say? Right, there? they've got time to think about it's it. Time basically. to think about it and to brood a bit about it. I think that was the... That was one of them. My okay. excuses. <laughs> and and for those of uh, yeah. those of our almost famous audience who haven't seen it and are yeah. now going to go off to YouTube, what yeah. um, just before they do, what was the question that ended up them storming off on in the end? Um, it's it's a it's a bit it's a bit complicated. They did he didn't storm off at this point, but he uh, Barry said, I don't know. This came out of the blue. He said, well, We weren't always called the B. I was asking about their names, and he said, Oh, we were we're not always called the Bee Gees. Uh, we used to be called Les Tosseurs. Oh yeah. And I just sort of joined in because it's a joke, obviously, mm. and it was some, and it relates to some, you know, multiple band gig they did. Yeah. Or, so that's anyway. him. That's him trying to be funny. He's being funny. Yeah. I join in. I said, "Well, no, never mind. You'll always be tossers to me." So that's <laughs> that sounds bad. But anyway, but but that he didn't walk over that point. It was I was talking to Robin about something else, and I was just trampling in a period of their life when things I hadn't really worked out that were, right. things had were a bit uncomfortable, and they didn't want to to think about it or talk about it. Right. So that's off they went. And But that, so once again, that was kind of your style, like quips yes, and, yeah. and bouncing off your guests. Yes. Um, what do you think led you to that kind of style of being a chat show host rather than, you know, trying to, you know, d- dig deeply into their personal lives or, or something like well, that? Well, uh, yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I'm not that all the other questions haven't been good as well. <laughs> it's a bit l- I'll take long, it. long in. So I only hear the positives. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, that's a good question. It's usually said by interviewees <laughs> who are just desperately thinking for time. But, but it, it, so when I started, uh, we'd done Whose Line Is It Anyway. Then we decided to do a, um, a, a chat show. But we had in mind, it was sort of like a parody of a chat show or improvising comedy. And that we had sketches and little mm-hmm. bits of performances. But you rapidly learn you can't do a parody chat show. You're doing a chat show. You're bringing yeah. guests on. You're talking. But in the context of that, I wanted to A, be funny and B, not avoid difficult questions. And try and, try and so a little bit like a current affairs interview but also comedy. And so I, I, more or less accidentally, I suppose, developed, I've turned out I had a style. Yeah. And the more you do it, you think, well, now you feel an obligation every every time you interview somebody. I've got to, I've got to do that again. I've got to be, yeah. so I tried to be as funny as possible. Because you've grown an audience who are expecting exactly, that of you. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oddly enough, I went, when I went to the BBC, they did, um, they did something called a quant- qualitative analysis of various chat shows. Sounds very BBC. Yeah. Well, yeah. So, Even I don't then. know, Parky was around at the time, Jonathan Ross, Michael Aspel. Quite, there's quite a few of them. It was quite a yeah. big time. And, it, I mean, it was, a bit, it, was, it was interesting but useless research because the things that people liked about me, the people who liked me, liked me for the same things that people disliked me. So you think you either carry on doing what you've done for your audience or you're trying to d- adjust to, and to, to be less aggressive or yeah. less quippy not not always trying to make a joke so in the end i just and i i kind of developed that on my own for a bit then dan patterson who was my producer on that came, he he likes comedy as well so i'd be sort of coming out with quips while preparing you know with to do the interview and he would remember them all and say oh you did that joke earlier on do you know that so and then a little bit of editing as well so the um it became more and more concentrated. So yeah. each one had to be funnier than the last one, in my mind. And yeah. I, if I stand back for an hour, I think, no, I could have, I could have, you know, let let off. And now I do interviews 
on loose ends and it's a slightly different arrangement there isn't a studio audience and i hope i am funny from time to time but i don't have to i don't no. have to be pressing the accelerator the whole time yeah you don't it, feel the need to be yeah a little bit like um you know, michael palin does those documentaries around the world yeah he's funny every now and then but he doesn't have to be funny the whole time because no. he's michael palin yeah you, you you're comfortable you're confident that if something funny needs to be said he'll say it at the right but he won't do it the whole, the whole yeah time. and i think audiences are really savvy to when people are trying to be yeah. too funny. Do you yeah. know what I mean? When it's not natural and not part of their persona. Well, it is part of my persona, but I am probably trying too hard. <laughs> right? So I've, I think I, well, maybe I've got a bit older. And... What's clearly part of your persona is your self-deprecating nature because you always try and cover something <laughs> that comes across as funny and confident with something slightly well, more negative. Well, okay, well, maybe. I yeah, don't know. busted. Yeah. Yeah. Busted. <laughs> um, you mentioned uh, the uh, uh, giving birth to your first child instant. I wonder how... Yeah. My, um... my wife did that. Let me, yes. let me yeah. make it plain. Yeah. You... <laughs> uh, you, you mentioned your wife giving birth yeah, uh, yeah. edit uh no uh yeah. i wonder in general how your fame affected your family um yeah uh is it something that was easy for them they enjoyed or what did it did it create difficulties as well um well a lot enough people kind of if you're out we used to go out well still do but you know go out for meals and things with people but uh, people are less likely to come up and say something while you're en famille yeah. and uh but they i don't think they particularly liked it um but you know, it's it's a it's a bit of a laugh, isn't it? When somebody comes up and says, "Oh, you're you can can you just sign my my napkin or whatever it is?" Yeah. Uh, but in keeping with what you said earlier about yeah. how you feel like you haven't changed as a person, mm. uh, I guess what, kind of what you're saying then is that your wife doesn't think you've changed as a person either, and nor did your you know uh, your, the rest of your family. No, I think I think my wife feels I should have changed, <laughs> not not necessarily as a result of being on television. I think that I think that's a classic analysis of the difference between men and women. Men always want their wives to stay the same, and women always want right. their husbands to change. Right. What did she want? Disappointed. She hoped you'd become taller. I mean, yeah. what, what is it she would have wanted? <laughs> well, she can't hope for that. No. But that's not likely to happen. But, but um, you know, probably less inclined to be joking the whole time. Right. But, uh, I would say that's growing be... up a bit, being more well, serious. Yeah. yeah. I, don't know. I think you tread the line. And of I've serious gone. And, uh, and I've gone. You know. You know. If I'd have. Stayed as a barrister, I'd be, you know, I'd be a judge by now. Something right. really serious. Right. And uh, if yeah. I made a joke, every, at any rate, all the barristers would laugh in court because you tend to laugh at the judges. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not going to mention her by name, mm. but your daughter is pursuing a, a yes. career in stand-up. Yeah. I wonder, um, because this really works well with, with what we did in the first series, uh, People Who Grew Up Around Fame. I wonder if you think, from your opinion, whether you think she's um, pursuing that career um, because of uh, growing up around your fame yeah. and and career in the entertainment industry, or kind of despite it, despite what she saw and I, learnt? I don't. You see, I've got three children. Uh, my wife's a doctor. I mm -hmm. used to be a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Now, all parents want their their children to take take on sensible careers. So right. you think we should have at least one doctor, right? And maybe one lawyer, and then all be, parents, including you. Yeah, That's well, a genuine you know, in a sort of general way. Now, none of my children have decided to become doctors or lawyers or anything right. remotely uh, like that. So, but of course, I've done quite a lot of uh, telly and radio and comedy. So, I suppose it's not unreasonable that at least one and uh, I can't mention the name Flora has become. Uh, you know, she does stand-up comedy and improvisation yeah. and all sorts of things. And she uh, she sees me perform from time to time, tells me, you know, where Gives I'm going. Feedback. She does. She's, she's very good at, uh, yeah. feedback's good. Yeah. Uh, but I'm more hesitant of, uh, you know, making any suggestions to her because I think the last thing you want is your parents saying this, that, or Yes, the I agree. Yeah. I yeah. agree. And in general, do you think then you're, um, not just with your daughter, but mm. do you think you've always been good at taking feedback? 
Is that because uh, not not a lot of comedians? No, I wouldn't are, say I no. Not necessarily. I mean, I if if somebody says, "Oh, look, you're." You know, you're favouring the only one side of the room there. Be conscious, and or you're moving around too much. Or too, I mean, there's something simple like that. It's useful. That's because yeah. obviously somebody looking looking in. But um, yeah, okay, with the content in the jokes, you know, well, that was a bit rude, or that was a bit right, yeah, rambly, or something. I suppose I suppose I might. Uh, um, you can handle it. Again, well, I did. I did this show in Edinburgh this year, and I did have one bit of criticism, which was dead useful because I'd I'd let a factual mistake creep into my Ooh. act. And when I first read, oh goodness, how picky giving that! I did. I did a couple of nights wrong, but then after, no, that's useful because that's now drawn to my attention, yeah. and I've corrected it. And uh, I don't know why I'd gone wrong in the first place, but but there it is. Well, and also because people on Twitter would be right at you, Clive. If yes, they, if they yeah. went and they found that factual fair, no, fair error. enough. So, but it's uh, you know, it's it's a public. Correction. So we interviewed uh, Ralph Little on this, oh, and yes. um, he said in his interview at one point, um, and that's the first episode we put out, which has come out today, we're recording this on, yeah. on Friday. Um, he said, uh, when talking about a story, that actually he'd always wanted to be on QI. Oh, right. And my mum listened to it today, and my mum was like, actually, I said to my mum, are there any questions you think you'd like to hear asked to people? And she said, well, actually, that really interested me, and I'd be interested to hear yeah. if there are things that people wish they'd done that they hadn't been able to do. Oh, right, So yes. I wonder if there are any uh, things over your career that you kind of shows or, or things that you wanted to achieve that you haven't been able to and you still have on your list. Um Oh yes, again, that's a that's a good question. I've made some documentaries over the, over the years, and I like doing those. Mm -hmm. I've just been doing some uh, the last couple of winters for the Smithsonian Channel, but I did I used them on BBC Two, and I enjoyed doing those. And I'd, I'd I wouldn't mind doing more of those because there, there's a different discipline. I don't know you know to what extent I bring yeah. my, you know anything special to it, but though I'm, I'm just I'm just sort of treading water while I. Try and think. I have done QI. I, do you I, have ideas? Oh, if you, so, you documentary is the first thing that came to your head. Do you have ideas yeah. of things you'd like to make documentaries on? Uh, yes, and uh, I've um, you pitched them heavily yeah, yeah, to yeah. various channels. Well, uh, oh, the thing I would say is, is I mean, it's it, it's a, it's, I suppose, in a way, a sort of first world problem. But I, you know, getting from an idea to getting it on screen mm. is quite a long journey. So yeah. if you start at the beginning, there are a lot of hurdles of people to convince, and who knows, it was a good idea in the first place. But it doesn't really matter. There's too many. Yeah. Whereas I get the the um, the advantage from time to time that somebody else's idea has has got to the end, maybe somebody's dropped out or maybe they've thought of me but either way yeah. um it, it i i've been i taken to the end of the journey so i think over the years i've probably done more of other people's okay uh, concepts in a way do you feel like you're that's a really good interesting point yeah. especially because i've also worked at development in the bbc so i know exactly how the hoops yeah. se yes. section, uh, thing works but do you feel then that you're um if you go to a a commissioner say yeah. or a channel with an idea do you feel that your idea has to go through as many hoops as those of someone who's not famous, for instance? Yeah, I think well, it's a there's a slightly different issue. If you're just an ideas man mm. or an ideas woman or you're a producer, mm -hmm. you, that, that's the idea can be examined. There's, there's, it's often an implication if you come forward with an idea that you, you want to be doing it. It's an idea for yeah. me. So yeah. there's, there's a double thing. Well, I don't really... The idea's not bad, but I don't really like him or like him, but I don't like that idea. Mm. So, I mean, these aren't... Um, these aren't dreadful things, and no. as, as I think you've hinted, there are people with lots of ideas up and down the country. And uh, it, all I would say to everybody is just you know keep plugging away because uh, 
it does some, sometimes seem like, oh, there's a, these people in this golden circle, but it's it's only because you've done one thing that you get to do the, the yeah. next thing. Yeah. And that's always the tricky bit. Well, as you said earlier, actually, I guess one of the benefits to how um, TV, we're talking about TV, I guess, or TV and radio works now is there are so many more channels, therefore there are so many more production yeah. companies. Yeah. It is hard. It is absolutely hard to get um, ideas into those places, but you know, yeah. if you keep pushing, there but are you a lot can more make options. a podcast. You can do on YouTube, YouTube exactly. Yeah. And uh, uh, and it's oddly enough, for considering it's their job, TV executives seem seem only to be able to understand ideas when somebody's done them. Yeah. And uh, and I, when I, I mean, I, again, I, just to be slightly happier about my career because we were concentrating on the sort of <laughs> when I when I used to be st- sort of uh, studio warm ups and speeches and bits and pieces. Of, so, plenty of people. Well, Mel was always Mel Smith was always great. He said, "Oh, Clive, you should uh, you should have your own TV program. Why are you just doing warm up?" And uh, uh, but then you know, okay. And then uh, Dan Patterson, as I've mentioned, he put me on uh, radio and then telly. Yeah. And then afterwards, all these other people say, "Oh, I've got an idea for you, Clive." A producer thing, but where were you when I didn't have a program? Yeah. It's easy to say, yeah. oh, now you've uh, done it. And then I met Mel at a uh, party, having just got going for a few years. And uh, Mel just was an unusual person, and he was very, very good as a performer, as an actor, light comic yeah. actor, yeah. comedian. But he didn't want to do that. No. And he, was, he became he a, di- a successful director. He, he, he wanted to be either a rock star, a sportsman, <laughs> or a film director. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I. Sport, I think he'd done quite well when he was young, but you know that had faded away a bit. Mm. Um, he he enjoyed, <laughs> as I tried to put it when I was writing, when he sadly died. He did enjoy a rock star lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Um, but he was a film director, and he was, uh, you know, he liked being. But he's, oh, what are you, what are we doing all this comedy on telly for? So wait a minute, Mel, you're the <laughs> you're the one that suggested it for me. Oh, it's a waste of time. It's so stupid, isn't it? Well, that's Have easy. I mean, that's Mel. easy Leave for him. Alone. Easy yes, for exactly. him to say when he's at the top of his exactly. of his profession. Yeah. Well, but a lot of people, whatever they doing they want to do something else yeah they, of course they, yeah. that's totally yeah. uh, i see that with every every comedian i know yeah. and every even if it's a type of comedy and yeah. but what i really found interesting from what you just said is um what i think is quite rare is for someone amongst your peer group to actually say oh you're really good at something yeah. you should be doing that that yeah. doesn't happen nearly enough no I think. no well i mean mel only knew sort of slightly i knew griff Reese Joe, I still do know him much better, but he never suggests that. Yeah, I mean, Clive, I mean, being that far. Clive, as, yeah. you know, as you know, I've worked with <laughs> yeah. Griff, and, uh, no, but I would yeah. love to get Griff on the yes, show at some point. I need, to, I need to. If I can to... name drop another person from that era, uh, talking about, because this is about fame, um, a few years ago, I, a few times went away with uh, Rowan Atkinson on, on sort of holidays mm-hmm. that he kind of organised. And I remember once being at a, it was a, castle in scotland and going i was going up the stairs and going in and it, was, and it turned out to be quite a crowd of people there and there's a few people saw me and they got you know excited and it's like it was kind of parents saying to the kids you always kind of isn't because the kids didn't know but, but they got excited and i was just thinking yeah wait a minute this <laughs> you've got you ain't seen nothing yet because yeah. rona because mr, mr. Bean's, Bean's about to come yeah. to, well, you won't need to explain to the kids no. you'll be more excited and I thought, oh yes this is not gonna be the day you met clive anderson <laughs> yeah 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 well my my dad always said that he never wanted whenever he was on a plane mm. and he'd get to go business class because he was working in the music industry or whatever and he was sat near a famous person he yeah. It would upset him because he thought if the plane goes down, yeah. no one will ever care exactly. about me. Exactly, you but... don't want to be the, 
the least famous person yeah. or the second most famous person. Yeah, and I think plane. I've told this story on an episode before, but we had a party when I was growing up that Rowan Atkinson turned up to in his Aston Martin. <laughs> yeah. And me and my brother were working the car park and he refused to park it amongst the other cars. <laughs> yeah. He had to park it in the the middle, like right where the actual house was so that everyone could see it. Oh, right. Um, but maybe it was an insurance thing. It must have been. Yes. It must, or maybe he just didn't want to be told where to park his car by two yeah, eight-year-old boys. He loves, he loves his cars. Um, he, yeah. I wonder whether, uh, after this question, we're going to do some quick fire, some more pithy answer oh, questions. Oh, no, that'd be harder to do. Um, but I wonder I'm more if you of a could... rambly person than I am a quick well, fire you can, in this uh, context. But, seeing, yeah, as, yeah. seeing this is uh, talk show host to yeah, talk show host, yeah. I'll allow you to say pass uh, anytime. Okay, we can turn right. it into a quiz if you want. Yeah. Um, I just wonder if you can think of a time where someone used your fame to take advantage of you or to, or to do something unpleasant. Hmm. Would you feel you've been treated pretty well in, in general, apart from yeah. uh, Peter Salmon, of course? <laughs> Don't make it about him. It's, uh, he was just doing his job. Um, no, I mean, the, the other thing I have with fame is that people uh, confuse me with uh, Clive James yeah. uh, quite quite a lot in, a, in a quite a complicated way. Because uh, sometimes they, so I'll, you know, say I'm in a taxi or something and the Oh, Clive! I love your programs. Love your programs. Your travel programs. Well, and then they'll start. Then they'll start describing a program, which mm. is oh, you know, oh, Maria Prakatan used to come on. There. <laughs> and you think, well, at what point do I say no? I'm not. I, uh, or somebody say, oh, well, please see you, Mr. James. And you think, well, if I'm just going past, do I say no? It's actually not Mr. James. And sometimes it's just they've got them. You know, the, the, the word, the name Clive just naturally goes with James. We're not so hopelessly dissimilar. Yeah. yeah. So. But sometimes it's a merging of things, and they do know who I am. But they say, and of course, you're Australian, aren't you? I said, no, no, that's Clive James. No, no, you, you're Australian. No, I am not Australian. Right. The person, I'm not mixing up. And you're, now you're having an argument over being. Yeah. So that everyone, I think, has got somebody like that. When that there. happens, that's really interesting because yeah. when that happens, I wonder, do you then feel uncomfortable at the thought of sticking up for yourself because you don't want to come across like a diva yeah. who's like saying, no, yeah. it's not really him. Whereas yeah. sometimes it no doubt feels easier to just go along with it, like you're saying. Well, it is. And uh, the, the ones who say, oh, welcome, Mr. James, and you think, You've obviously gone to the word Clive first of the name Clive. Just if you just call me Clive, then we wouldn't have be gone no there. But they're trying to be a bit sort of you know, and they've gone for the wrong name. Yeah. And uh, of course, Clive James has sadly died now. And uh, he, uh, I was, I'm expecting people. It hasn't happened yet. Somebody to go. I thought you were dead. It's <laughs> a different Clive, risen yeah. from the grave yeah. to give me my last fare in the black taxi that mm. you're getting in. Um, okay, so here comes the quick fire bit. But yeah. feel free to pass. What's the most embarrassing thing that's happened to you because of being Famous. Um, oh dear! You did uh, tell us the you did tell us the British Airways story, which but that's kind of embarrassing. A little bit embarrassing that yeah. you used the fame card. But can you think of anything embarrassing that happened apart from that? I I uh, I honestly I can't think of uh, um, other than what I've just been talking about when yeah. I'm mixed up with a a more yeah. famous Clive. Fair enough. Uh, Fair enough. What's the best thing about being famous? I think it just is opens doors to doing other mm. things. So uh, mm. if you do one TV program, you can get to do another. Yeah. You get invited to things. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, I hope, hope I don't swagger around too much on the basis of that. Did but. you enjoy when you, re you know, did you enjoy um, hanging out and getting to meet other famous people? Is that a, is that a common thing? Is that something that you enjoyed or I, you steered away from? I, I would think I observed that in other people, that, mm. they, that famous people like there to be other fa famous people there. Yeah. Um, I, Do you think it makes them feel more famous? Possibly. It yeah. just makes them feel more comfortable, as though you belong to some sort of club. fame club. Yeah. Um, uh, actually, this uh, this is. I remember once uh, it was at a charity event, a uh, royal charity event. Uh, so it goes back to Griffin Mel again, but it does illustrate something about Mel, who's 
sadly no longer yeah. with us. But it was a big charity. I had written the script. They were performing, and we were to meet. Uh, everyone was to meet Prince Charles and Lady Diana, Princess Diana, afterwards. Typically, though, Mel had something better to do than, <laughs> than meet Princess Diana. Yes, yes, he had. He, he legitimately had some meeting he had to go to at eleven o'clock at night or something. Right. So I was there. I got his ticket to the backstage thing. So being and uh, I am. Um, Diana, I don't think, was really enjoying the event. But then when she saw Griff, she was she didn't really know him, but she knew him from the telly, and she, she just visibly relaxed. Wow. There was somebody there. She could say, oh, Griff. Blah, 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 and the, um, so, so even at her level of fame, she liked having another famous person who wasn't just the, the Duke right. of somewhere, yeah. I suppose. But uh, Ironically, that's exactly the opposite to how I was when I got in a room with Griff every time. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't visibly relax, that's for sure. Um, uh, you need to explore your relationship and, yeah, with well, Uncle Griff. Well, yeah. exactly. We'll, yeah. we'll use it as a therapy session yeah. when he finally comes on the show. Yeah. Uh, and what's the worst thing about being famous? The worst thing about it is when you're in, um, you know, either you know, say you're not very well in public or you're grumpy having or you're, you're having a bad day. Um, you, you think, well, if I was to... I know, something simple. If you just fall over, if you fall on the street, it's sort of momentarily embarrassing. But nobody's... Somebody may go home and say, "Oh, you know, I, somebody fell down on the street. It's not even worth talking about." It. Oh, do you know that bloke he used to be on the telly quite a lot, <laughs> Clive James. You know, yeah. he, he fell over. He was obviously drunk or something. Well, that's where the benefit yeah. is of yes, you being yeah, but, uh, known as yeah. Clive James. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I've, I mean, have you seen any evidence of anything like that on the internet of people having surreptitiously taken photos of you with smartphones or any of that? Um, no, I don't go. I don't go on the internet uh, very much. Mm. Uh, I've. Um, the closest I get is to go onto Twitter. I don't, I'm not on Twitter, but every now and then I get duped into it because somebody, usually my wife, who does for other reasons on Twitter, she, oh, there's something nice about you. Yeah. On, on, so I, oh, I can't, I resist it. I go and search Twitter and I say, oh, there's nice. And then there's, oh, there's a hundred other things say yeah. how rubbish I am. So I avoid doing that too it's, often. I think I would as well. I think it's the wise <laughs> thing. Um, as a person who's experienced a lot of fame, and we've talked to quite a lot of our guests about this, um, a lot of people have had stories run on them in the tabloids that aren't true. I wonder yes. if there's been any examples of those that you can think of. Uh, yeah, there was once uh, a, a while ago. Um, it was a while ago. It was in the News of the World. And there was um, uh, there was a story that I was going to a strip. I'd, I was a regular attender. A, I think it was just a strip club, but a, but a dodgy club of some sort. Mm. And uh, I looked at this and I thought, well, that's it's not true. And and what do you do about it? So this is before you could just easily tweet or, or write. And so I wrote to the thing. So, well, like, would you care to correct that? Because yeah. um, I uh, I don't know why I was so pompous about it. But the, <laughs> but the um, they wrote back, said, oh, in that typical sort of way. Oh, I don't know why you're worried about it. It sort of adds to your allure to be. <laughs> you should uh, be thanking and, us. I know we've checked anyway with the the, the doorman or somebody, and he, and there's you're you know <laughs> definitely there. And so I wrote, wrote another pompous letter saying, "Oh, this is much more serious because if the doorman is saying that I am turning up there, which is clearly wrong, that Bar means Barrister somebody Clive somebody involved. is passing themselves off as me, and it may have you know financial implications if they run up a bill. So it's very very important you correct it. <laughs> so I kept this going for a bit, and they claimed or sent me, and they put a correction eventually in the, right. in the in the paper. I think in the you know, the Newcastle edition on page fifty two. <laughs> but it was it was kind of important to do that in the sense that had it arisen years later yeah i and they say well here's this story so i had that corrected yeah. but also but, but but nothing, nobody was that interested but, to be honest well, one way or the other but but that stuff can hurt families and stuff yeah, yeah, so yeah, exactly you know, but I, I was 
you know, confident that it was a wrong son. I, I suggested to people that it, it might have been that they were confusing me with. Yeah. And, uh, and well, the big, was, the big thing we've learned yeah. in this episode is that Clive James visited strip bars. <laughs> I think I think that's clear. Uh, mm. Allegedly yeah. not true. I just that was a joke. That so was a joke, and uh, um, but he's not alive, so you're free from the <laughs> legally laws of am I defa- okay? defamation. What about the he, estate? Yeah, no, nobody can uh, nobody can sue you for libel once somebody. <laughs> Fine, dead, stick yeah. with it then. Yeah, good old Clive James. We've yeah. all been there, except for Clive Anderson, of course. <laughs> um, last couple of questions: Who's the most most famous person in your phone, Clive? Can you think of it? In my phone, yeah. Um, Which, who's the most famous person you have the contact details of? Do you think? Uh, Do not say Griff Reese Jones. No, well, I've uh, Tony Blair. I've, oh, uh, very good. Yeah, that, Tony that... Blair's very good. We had Adele. <laughs> uh, we've had Tony Blair. That's pretty good. I'm going to stick with that one. Yeah, I actually listened. Uh, I actually uh, listened to Tony. Uh, Tony Blair. Yeah. Tony Blair's uh, aud- uh, audio book of his um, time in charge. It was. I found it really enjoyable. There's some great stories about him and the Queen on Millennium Night, which uh, I found hilarious. Oh, um, in the O2 thing. Yeah, yes, in the O2 yeah, thing. Yeah. Really good. Um, but now our final question, Clive, and mm. I ask this to everybody, knowing all that it entails and with the benefit of hindsight, mm. would you take back the fame you had if you had the chance? Would you change it? But just to so you know, you'd have all of the trappings yes. like in terms of the you know financial and where you live and your family and everything yeah. that comes with your life as it is, but you just take away the famous element. Is that something you'd have swapped? You'd swap out. So, so taking it back and putting it aside, no longer known by anybody. Right. Maybe have a job that generates the same amount of income. <laughs> right. right. Maybe I'm the producer or something, yeah. but nobody knows who I am. Well, what I've realised yeah. from this, what I've realised from doing this a few times now, is that because uh, Reese James did exactly the same. So yeah. I don't really understand the question. And basically, we, we we narrowed it down to he's like so basically the same, except no one recognises me on the street. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Okay. No, I no, I think I'm okay with being recognised. Quite. Quite like as That's I've nice. said already, I have the correct level of fame yeah. in the sense that I've enough to stroke my ego, yeah. but not so that I can't go to the end of the street and buy a pint of milk. Brilliant, yeah. Clive. Thank you so much. Uh, just before we go, yeah. um, plug uh, your show, Me Macbeth and I. When and where can people see it? Well, it's, it's Me Macbeth and I. It, the, the, the Macbeth element is a structure. It's largely about me, uh, but it relates to things I've tried. And are, in are life. you saying that you're trying to stop people from like not wanting to come in case they don't like Shakespeare <laughs> by saying? Well, it, my, one of the points I make. It is that Macbeth is the best play, but Shakespeare's the best play, therefore the best play ever written. But that's just a way of getting into a variety of uh, things. Right. And it's an it's I'm I'm doing what's grandly called a tour. I I've got a number of dates at distant places yeah. around yeah. the country. So not not London and not Scotland because I did a month in in Edinburgh doing the show. So. That, that was your opportunity in Scotland to see. Okay, the show, and can but... they find those dates on oh, the website? Oh, I can't give you a website here, but you easily just search me. Google Clive Anderson. Google Clive Anderson. Me and you'll Beth see and I. me, Macbeth, and I. And uh, the end. I know at the end it's sort of Salford and Liverpool, but before I'm running Cornwall, Epsom, um, Milton Keynes. You Perfect. know, the, there's all, nowhere all the... you won't be. Well, there's quite a few places I will. Okay, won't but be. I mean, just yeah. as a way to exit this uh, yes, little yes, bit, yes, there's yes, nowhere yeah. Clive no, won't I'm, be. I'm underprepared as far as plugging my own show, but I think. I always think this when I'm, you know, dealing with people and they're on to talk about a project. Let's talk. That's fine. But you don't need chapter and verse these days. It's easy to find. Uh, Clive, the loveliest famous person (laughs) ever, or or even slagging off his own ability to plug his show. Um, Thanks again for coming on, guys. Please do press the subscribe button on Almost Famous. Do leave us a comment uh, and rate us on Apple Podcasts. It would really help us. Find us on Instagram at Almost Famous Podcast and on Twitter at Pod Almost Famous. And thank you once again for listening. Goodbye. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.